Today's theme in the Advent is love. And so I want to share with you a message called transformative love. When you consider all that God has given to us, you have to realize that His gift of love is the most extraordinary gift of all. John 3.16. I was just sharing this with Raymond this morning. Raymond's one of my students that came to, came to church to say hi to me today. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The most foundational verse in the Bible is in the Gospel of John, as most people can quote it easily. But did you ever wonder, since there's four Gospels, did you ever wonder why this event, this foundational verse, this event and quote from Jesus is only found in the Gospel of John and not the other three? In fact, have you ever realized just how much John talks about God's love? Love is one of the essential themes in John's writings. In the book of 1 John alone, the word love in its related forms is mentioned 40 times. If anyone's going to write about the love of God, it's going to be John. But why? When John first met Jesus, John and his brother James were working as fishermen with their dad on the Sea of Galilee, along with a couple of others who began following Jesus as well. You know the story. Mark Chapter 1, starting at verse 16. And as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 19. When Jesus had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. Verse 20, And immediately Jesus called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. This is our introduction to John, a hard-working fisherman, tough guy who leaves his work behind to begin following Jesus. So how do we know he's a tough guy? Because if we skip ahead one chapter, we see the nickname that Jesus gave to John and his brothers. Does anybody have a nickname? I got a rough one I don't usually share. I'm not going to share here. My friends in uh, high school nicknamed me. Sometimes your nickname just gets stuck with you in life. Jesus had a nickname for James and John. Mark 3:13 And he went up to the mountain and called to him those who he himself wanted and they came to him Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons verse 16 He lists who he calls Simon to whom he gave the name Peter James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. Why would Jesus call John and James the sons of thunder? 
I will tell you that Jesus has a purpose for everything He does. So He must have had a good reason for dubbing them the sons of thunder. Let's look at John chapter 2, verse 24. It says that Jesus knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for He knew what was in a man. In other words, Jesus knew the brother's nature when He first met them. When you first come to Jesus, He knows all about you. He knows about your past. He knows about your thoughts and what you are preoccupied with. And He still loves you and He tells you to come near. So they had a a past and and they had a personality. They were thunderous, as we're going to talk about. And Jesus knew that, but He loved them and brought them near. And so Boanerges, or the sons of thunder, was a fitting nickname for them. Jesus knows you completely when you come to Him. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your quirky personality. He knows what tempts you and what troubles you, and He knows your very thoughts and all your wonderings. And yet He still comes to you. He still calls you and draws you to come near. It's not that Jesus is hesitant to have a relationship with us. It's not Jesus who's slow to draw near and commit to us. It's the other way around. Even though Jesus knows everything about us, every sin that we have committed, and every temptation we have or currently are considering, He still draws near to us. We are the ones who hesitate. Jesus knew John and his brother, even though their rough and thunderous side was evident. He still drew near to them. But... What rough side do I speak of? Jesus and His disciples were traveling through Samaria another time on their way to Jerusalem. Maybe you recall this story. And when they ran into trouble, Jesus attempted to find accommodations for the night in one of the places there, but was met from opposition from one of the villagers simply because His destination was Jerusalem. And Samaritans didn't like Jews, and Jews didn't like Samaritans. So he faced opposition. Luke 9.54 When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Jesus rebuked the brothers, and they all went to another village. James and John's response to the Samaritans reveals a fervency and an anger that could properly be called thunderous. Not much love here. And we can be sure that there were other times when James and John lived up to that thunderous nickname as well. Maybe when the disciples argued about who was the greatest. Can you see these sons of thunder arguing and getting their point across? Who was the greatest before Jesus put them all in their place? Of course, we know that John and his brother also dealt with pride. Can you imagine saying this to Jesus? Did you ever have grow up in a family and one of your siblings talks back to your mom or dad and you think, oh boy, he's in trouble now? Imagine saying this to Jesus and, and being around when they said this. Mark 10:35. Then James and John, the son of, sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine saying that to God? 
It's almost like they think genie is a, a, that, that Jesus is a genie in a golden lamp. The audacity, the boldness, the pride is astounding. Again, not much love there. But what did they demand? Mark 10.36 Jesus said to them, All right, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Wow. Thinking of themselves first and considering themselves more highly than everyone else doesn't exactly translate into love, does it? Verse 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The men are clearly thinking in physical terms of a cup and a baptism and relying on their physical overconfidence, and so they respond in pride. Verse 39, they said to him, Sure, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Of course, Jesus was talking about spiritual things and the persecution that they all would face. Verse 40, Jesus continues, But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other ones who were sitting around thinking, oh my gosh, they're in trouble. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now their pride and impetuousness had gotten others angry with them. Again, not much love there. But over time, John and his brother humbled themselves and grew ever closer to Jesus. In fact, they became part of Jesus' inner three disciples, including Peter. These three men, James and John and Peter, were present with Jesus during very special events. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' transfiguration. They witnessed Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. They even accompanied Jesus in His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thus, these three witnessed Jesus' greatest moments of glory and His darkest trials. These were His closest friends. It had to be because they received a true and perfect love from Jesus. One that's not quick to reject, but rather it's quick to forgive. It was the love of Jesus that transformed these rough and tough fishermen into vessels to be used by God. It was Jesus' love and all that He did that transformed John's heart into one that exuded the same love towards others so that it became a dominant theme in his writings. Witnessing how Jesus responded to their actions and attitude, John and his brother were able to experience firsthand the godly love that Paul talked about. You know this love. Many times we think that we can do it on our own, but it's a love that comes from God first. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. 
It is not proud. Indeed, Jesus was patient when they were not. He was kind to those who rejected him. While the brothers wanted to call down fire from heaven, that had to make them think. This was something they didn't know. They didn't know. Why would you be willing to love people who hate you? That had to make them think. This was love. Do you truly know this love? Indeed, Jesus did not boast and he was not prideful. He did not demand to be noticed or thanked or appreciated. While the brothers sought the highest honor in recognition of themselves up in heaven for all the good deeds that they had done, they had to be stunned by Jesus' humility. They had to be shocked that even when people tried to praise Jesus, Jesus said, don't praise me. Don't call me good. There's only one good, and that's my Father in heaven. This was something that they had no experience with. That There's that part of us that wants to be noticed when we do something. We want to be thanked and we want to be appreciated. It's in all of us. It was not in Jesus. He always pointed to his Father to give him the praise and the thanks. John and James had no experience with this. Why? Because this was heavenly love. Have you truly experienced this love? Verse 5. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Indeed, Jesus never sought for His need above others even when he was arrested unfairly and treated unjustly and falsely accused and deserted by his closest friends and persecuted, Jesus was never self-seeking. When he was on that cross, he was thinking of you, not himself. In his time of overwhelming sorrow and anguish, he declared to God, his heavenly Father, not my will but yours be done. It's not what I want. It's not what I need. It's not what I think is important. It's what you think is important. And that's going to give me the strength to continue on. That's a love that is not self-seeking, that we cannot generate by ourselves, only by the gift of God. John and James were with him in the garden. They saw Jesus' strength. They saw his determination They saw his loyalty for them and others, even when they fell asleep, instead of keeping watch with Jesus. They just could not comprehend this level of strength, this passion of following God's will by sacrificing his own interests so that others could be saved. This was love. Can you truly comprehend this selfless expression of love. Indeed, Jesus was not easily angered, even in the face of arrogant men. How about you? When someone disagrees with you, or cuts you down, or insults you in public, does your blood begin to boil? Do you start to think vengeful thoughts, how you're going to get them back? Jesus didn't do that. He was not easily angered. Even with public rejection and injustice and the selfish action of others, because he was led by truth with compassion and with grace. 
rather than responding with anger because his feelings may have been hurt or that he was offended by their treatment towards him, Jesus' reaction was a broken heart that they wouldn't receive his love. He didn't shout out in anger. The Bible says he actually wept over Jerusalem. John and James had to be humbled by this pure heart. They had seen nothing like it. They didn't even know how it, was rep- how it was even possible to respond in that same way every single time. Why? Because this was love. Would you admit that you struggle in your response to rejection? Do you struggle in your response when you are offended or when people criticize you or when you face injustice? If you have ever said or thought or prayed that you want to be more like Jesus, are you willing to put down your anger, your need to be right, your desire to criticize others with different opinions, and let go of your reactions to defend yourself in order to truly be like Jesus? Indeed, Jesus has kept no record of wrongs. I think we all can be thankful for that. We are sinners saved by grace. None of us are perfect. We've blown it many times. I will blow it many more times, as we all will. Thank God Jesus does not keep a record of our wrongs. Why? Because that's love, perfect love. Though these brothers were quick to condemn the Samaritans, quick to argue for their best seat in heaven, they were humbled by Jesus' grace and His willingness to forgive them time and time again and still ask them to come closer. In fact, at the cross, while Jesus was dying, He took care of two very special people in His life. His own mother and John, His dear friend. Instead of seeking His own needs, Jesus was focused on the needs of others really what Christmas is about. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Indeed, the love of Jesus is not self-seeking. He is always looking for the needs of us all. Whatever you have, whatever you've come here with this morning, whatever is on your mind or in your heart, a wound, a thought, a question, God knows and He still asks you to come near. Why? Because that's perfect love. The love of a father. And it is this perfect and unexplainable love that transformed John from a rough fisherman to a man of passion for Jesus and sharing his love with others for the rest of his life. Do you know all the disciples were, were persecuted and killed for their faith except John? Do you know about John? They tried to kill him many times. But his love for God, he just kept getting up again, like the Rocky movies. He kept getting back up, getting back up. In fact, they tried to boil him alive, and he survived. 
And because they couldn't kill him, they thought he was some kind of god, and so they sent him to be exiled on the island of Patmos. And he survived that and later lived off his later days in Turkey where he died an old, an old man. Because the love of God, just he wanted to share Jesus with the world. He was transformed by the love of God. How do we know that this transformation took place? How do we know that the pride had left him? How do we know that John no longer put himself or his needs above others? Let's look at this passage again. When Jesus saw the disciple whom he loved, you see that? Right there he's talking about John. Does that mean that Jesus loved John more than others? Does that, like a lot of scholars believe, does that mean that John was his favorite because he's the only apostle described as the disciple whom Jesus loved? No, it does not. John is only referred to this way in his own gospel. John wrote the gospel of John according to his interactions with Jesus. Instead of simply saying things like, I did this, or this happened to me, John simply referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he looked at himself, he saw Jesus first because he was redeemed and he was forgiven and he was loved. And he knew that Jesus loved him dearly. Jesus' pure and perfect love, full of grace and forgiveness, offered through sacrifice, had truly transformed John's entire perspective. Imagine letting God truly change your perspective so completely that whenever you referred to yourself, it would be a mother whom Jesus loves, a grandfather whom Jesus loves, a teenager whom Jesus loves, a mechanic who Jesus loves, a grandma whom Jesus loves, a teacher whom Jesus loves, a humble servant whom Jesus loves. That's the power of God's love. The power to forgive. The power to heal. The power to completely transform your life and your will and your focus if you're willing. This is the gift of love that Christ came to earth to share. This is the love that dominated the writings of John, one of the sons of thunder. This is the love that defines who has been transformed of truly knowing Christ. If we are His, we will daily demonstrate and share this love with others, just as John has encouraged us to do. If Jesus could, could, tra could transform this rough and tough and burly fisherman, He can do even more for you. Hear the Word of God through a transformed life written by John, a fisher of men and a disciple whom John loved, who Jesus loved. 1 John chapter 4. 
In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loves us, we also ought to love one another message for this day for sure if we love one another god abides in us and his love has been perfected in us do you see that it's not about how many times you pray or how many times you read the bible it's not about how much money you give at church or how faithful you think you are the way that his love is perfected in us is if we love one another there's no greater gift that god desires for you to receive than the gift of His love. And when you realize the fullness of His love, the power of His grace, and His love to forgive, and the desire to love others enough to tell them about Jesus, then God's love will be perfected in you. Let us share the gift of God's love this Christmas season and beyond. Verse 6, 1 Corinthians. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the love of God that Jesus came to this world to give to us personally. The love of God is the first gift of Christmas.